I'm Amy, sex educator, sex and relationship coach, and co-owner of PurePleasureShop.com. I'm April, VP of the cutting-edge sex toy company, Hot Octopus, and I dedicate my life to the business of sex. We are on a mission to teach you how to have hot sex, deep intimacy, and how to make your own rules for who you are as a sexual being. Welcome Welcome to to the Shameless Sex Revolution. Want to learn more? Go to shamelesssex.com. And for 50% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use code SHAMELESSSEX at purepleasureshop.com. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Well, hello, everyone. Hey, everybody. April was just doing her best accent from Wisconsin. Well, that's where I grew up. Hi, I'm April. That's what I, when my mom calls me, hey, April, it's your mom. <laughs> I'm like, oh, mom, that's so dear. When I go back to the, whis- to the Wisco, with the Wisco, to the Wisco, I do uh, get the accent again. It comes back. Totally. And when I'm talking to people that have a thick Midwest accent. It brings it out. Yeah. And I'm I, like, hey, Amy, how you doing? I don't have a thick Midwest accent, though. No, I don't, but that's oh. why I'm talking to you like I'm great. Uh, <laughs> you don't really do accents ever. No, but you know what happens is I go out and about and people are like, in Santa Cruz, like, where are you from? You have an interesting accent. I'm like, uh, really? two, two blocks from here, actually. I'm fifth generation Santa Cruzian. <laughs> what like, kind of accent? I guess sometimes I do some weird things that might sound like I'm from Europe in some way, shape, Remember or form. Remember when Madonna had a totally a British accent? She's from Michigan originally. Do you remember? No. She used to. She had a British she, oh, she was married to like Guy Ritchie, but oh, there yeah. were interviews with her, I think in the early 2000s, where she totally was talking like a British person. I was like, wow, she's full. Well, Brit. we are sponges. I remember hanging out with a girlfriend back in the day, a lady friend, and she had these, you, you know her, I won't say her name in here, but she had these very specific, uh, oh, I can't say it because we call it her, her name isms. And we hung out like five days a week and we all started to speak like her and it was, it was like kind of cute little ways of speaking. Yeah. But I it, remember. Was, it was like her own little baby language. <laughs> I picked up when I lived in Israel, I picked up quite a bit of, I would also, because English were, were most of the folks that live there a second language. Yeah. I would simplify a lot of the way I was speaking to people just because sometimes it they, would, they would take a minute to just process. So yeah. I had to not minimize everyone's, most of the folks over there are so educated. And, and how do they do with how fast you talk? I, I, mean, I slowed and, and down. I, me too, by the way. I slowed down yeah. because my ex-husband would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're talking very fast. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm very excited. We, we move fast, both of us. Yeah. And move. then when I was working in London all the time, when I was with Hot Octopus and actually able to travel, I was picking up the loo. I would be like, oh, where's the you loo? You still say the loo. I do. And then also Where's some of the, the other toilet? things. toilet? Yes. It's like, have you seen my fringe, which is bangs? Oh. Um, what is uh, the, I like the way you said smoking ciggies? Oh, yeah. Uh, smoking a fag. Yeah. Well, and that's still, what I said. But you said something about smoking ciggies. You had like a, oh, it was Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse, yeah. yes. But they still say smoking a fag. I don't know if it's actually like, it's not meant to what be What kind anything. of like cunt in Australia? Is well, cunt it? in England, in yeah. Scotland. They say cunt still. It's different than That guy that I hooked up with, the freedom. What do you say? He's, he called me a lazy cunt <laughs> for, for having Audible. <laughs> Instead of, he's like, people read books. I can't even do the accent right now, but it's like, so you, you listen cunt. to books. You're just a lazy cunt. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. And then I got slightly offended and cleared it with him because he said, Oh, no, that's, that's literally just, say, like yeah. saying dude. Yeah. Us saying dude. 
at least from what he said, because it's like, I don't find cunt to be that offensive, but at the time I Do you ever say cunt when you're having sex? Are you ever like, fuck my cunt? No, I mostly tap into pussy. I love pussy. Yeah. Cunt's cool. I have no opposition to it. I, I feel like if I said it a lot, I would adopt it, but I like the two syllable pussy and cunt. It's one syllable. It's like a little... See you next Tuesday, Amy. Well, we always say at the end of every episode, everyone, by the way, this episode, by the way, is on how I found peace in betrayal and divorce. Some of you are like, how the fuck do you do that? This is from the author of a recent book called The Buddha at My Table, Tammy Letherer, I think, as we decided. That's how we say her last name. Uh, and we loved her. She's, is she Midwest? Too? She's from the Midwest. Yeah. She, she has a bit of an accent. Yeah. And there were so many good little tidbits in here, whether you are going through the divorce, whether you're married, whether you're not going to get married and it's just a relationship. She's an incredible writer. She yeah. has a very... Uh, and she speaks from heart, like heartful, heart-filled life experience. You can totally hear that she's speaking from being very inquisitive, doing the work, and then writing about it. And yeah. it's really relatable. She I mean, I reminded me of the eat, pray, love author yeah. because she was living this life and then everything, everything kind changed of shifted. Very, like overnight. Well, yes. And wait for the episode. Yeah, yeah, you can't sorry. give away the juicy details, dun, dun, dun. but I do want to commend her on her, her writing is incredible. And she writes for the Huffington post and she has uh, a lot of uh, street cred when it comes to even the a, literary world. Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even a children's book. Yes. I didn't read the children's book. However, <laughs> I know legends dying to be read to at night. All right. You ready for some listener feedback? We also have a really awesome sex question that I think a lot of folks will relate to. But this feedback uh, is related. I think it's episode 212. With uh, S- uh, Solomon. 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 I should know this by now. <laughs> <laughs> for various personal reasons. Um, and about penis shame. And this person wrote to us and I appreciate this and I because they're giving us their tips and how they deal with their shame they actually named the inches of, of their cock which I'm not going to include and I was like that's actually a above average size cock but anyways I digress here's what they say I wish I had a bigger cock too and it's a constant battle to not think about it but what I do is play mind games with myself and just act like it's huge and act like people can tell by looking at my pants some other ways to celebrate your cock. Wear tight jeans and show off your package. Wear some shorts that feel good on your skin and look at yourself in the mirror and admire how it looks in there. Keep it groomed and keep it clean and never be ashamed or afraid to talk about it as long as you're not braggy. And he didn't say this, but also as long as you have consent to talk about your cock. <laughs> Experiment with different clothes and how they make your cock look and feel. Notice when others notice. Experiment with cock rings and wear them while you're running errands. All these things might have you enjoying your cock more than you've ever imagined. I think a lot of guys don't think like this because they spend too much time with their bros. And this kind of stuff can be vulnerable to being judged. But trust me, if your bros are judging, they are most likely jealous that they don't have the confidence that you do. Make your cock your wingman and be proud. After all, a 1967 Corvette in pristine condition is way sexier than a limo from the 70s with a bad paint job and bad engine. I have something to say about (laughs) this because this is good. So what he is saying, this penis owner is saying, and I think he identifies as a cis man from what I... My assumption, I don't know. I I thought that he wrote that. So no, maybe not. So this person, this penis owner... uh, 
what I loved about some of the things like the wear tight jeans and show off your package or wear some shorts that feel good in your skin. Uh, and so I unconsciously when people are wearing, especially penis owners are wearing, uh, tight pants or shorts that I can see see, or like, they're like, they have like the gym shorts that are like very short and they put their leg up that friends episode with the, I don't know if you ever saw friends. I maybe date myself. No, no, I did. But they have this episode where the, uh, one of the dudes would wear Geller. No, it was one. It was like a guest, I think. And he was always wearing shorts that were really short and his, His they could see his cock. Yeah. But I always do the, I, I don't try to. It's like this natural. You check out the package. Right. And it's not even, I don't know. I check out sometimes when I have a camel toe and some pants. I'm like, I can't wear these pants. I got a camel toe. We go to each other like, hey, is this too much camel like, toe? I got a moose <laughs> knuckle right now. God damn it. Well, and there's something, exactly. And there's, uh, so let's talk about breasts too, right? Like we can wear certain tops as breast owners from, from a, a vulva owning like, body any, yeah. with a full of estrogen. Um, and so I can wear something that shows the outline of them. And sometimes that feels fucking good. I'm like, yeah, my breasts are great. I'm going to do this. I forget that I, I can see your nipples right now. I know, but this is what I'm saying. I'm just lifting up I'm my really shirt because <laughs> I forget. I never wear bras. I have nope, she pretty much never worn she bras. She doesn't wear underwear either. And I do. <laughs> yes. Also <laughs> very personal. Thank you, Amy, for outing that. Yes, this is true. It's true. I don't do, I own like three pairs of underwear. She told my, me that yesterday. <laughs> they're my period underwear. And I put them on when I have a period and they're torn up and they were looking pretty good i was showing up. my partner's daughter my underwear i was like look at these underwear she's like you need some new underwear i was like i know i used to wear yours when i lived <laughs> with, with your dad and she's like yeah that makes sense i was I, like sorry i used to steal your underwear. i did she's comfortable with it it was hilarious and she was like i know i thought that i was like yeah oh my god you guys just figured this out that you were the underwear snatcher i never snatched them i would i did all the laundries anyway we're digressing so many this is the good this is a very tangent oriented <laughs> episode coming back to the bra thing i forget sometimes i put on these white tops yeah, i can see your that you can see totally through and i don't i'm into it think about it and then i go out into the world my mask's on <laughs> and my tits are out no <laughs> unintentionally so you're not even coming from a place of celebrating them you're more it's freedom more freedom i right? just i it's like i'm wearing a sweatshirt <laughs> and i'm not i'm hey. wearing a very light colored and let me tell tank you top. April looks good in her sweatshirt, a.k.a. a white see-through top. <laughs> I think, like, I celebrate my my boobs as much as I can, my tatas. Me too. I just like to be naked all the time. Yeah, believe me, I've seen a lot of Amy naked. <laughs> She's getting my sick life. of it. So, uh, <laughs> coming back to this feedback, Thank I appreciate you. this. And I think that humans out there, penis owners or... Uh, owners. Or owners all of all... Yes, whatever you want to rock and unconsciously or consciously because sometimes you may or may not know you're even rocking it so we are talking a lot about bits and and getting in love with your bits and what about vulva loving and how about i think omgs we've talked about for years but the more we know the better it gets i think is a, a mantra of us so if you haven't checked it out okay so omgs is a online program that they studied what 
3,000 plus Volvo owners? Uh, 20,000. 20,000. Between the ages of 18 to 95. Damn. So that's and, you and you and you listening right now. You and, and you. these are real humans. How do you pleasure yourself? How do you have orgasm? And so they did a study. They narrowed it down into these categories. And then they did these really tasteful videos. And we're visual learners. And what they show us is all these different techniques that we can try on our own do bodies. Do you know what orbiting is? No, what the fuck is orbiting? It's a million ways of circling the clit. Damn. Do you know what staying in is? The, uh, season two yep. inside. Sustaining contact and pressure during penetration. Oh, damn. This is all super hot. Yeah, super hot. And well done. I learned, I have personally learned so much from this. So I have my clients. It's really well done. It's insightful. You will learn so much from it. Whether you are already having awesome orgasms and you want to up your orgasm game or you want to learn how to pleasure a vulva, whether it's your own or someone else, um, you can learn so much from it. So go to omgs.com slash shameless. You get $5 off. Season one is all about external stimulation and pleasure. Season two is about internal stimulation and pleasure. And I believe season three is coming out soon. It's coming out one time. You pay once. You get access to all the things. But each season is different, so check that out. Are you ready for a sex question? Yeah. Okay. So this is a sex question from a huge... No, they said we could use the oh, name. okay. So this is a sex question from James. Uh, that limits it. There's only about a billion of those. <laughs> I've been with my wife for six years, and our sex life is mediocre at best. Her sex drive is low, and she is not about doing anything different. It always has to be a massage first, then some foreplay, then the grand finale of penetration. I try to bring up things or even say the word pussy, vagina, penis, etc., and she blushes. She works in the medical field and is subjected to all kinds of things at work, so you'd think she'd be more open. Once we used a starter dildo in her butt, and she came quicker than I ever saw her come before, but she will not even admit it ever happened or that she enjoyed it. I am so aware that she does have some sexual trauma in her past. How do you suggest I get her to an open-minded state of trying new things and even speaking about trying new things? I love her dearly, but I'm starving sexually and I need her to open up at least a little bit. Please help. What's so interesting about this is I know people that work in the medical profession and not all of them, but a number of them, a lot of them, have these very limited ideas about sexuality. And, and I think that a lot of folks in the medical field are because you go to medical school and you get some information on it sexuality. It desensitizes you, though, sometimes because I think maybe it's the anatomy that comes in. And they don't teach you about pleasure, by the way. That's not what they're teaching you. They're not like, here's how you have an orgasm. Here's the G-spot and here's the clitoris. It's So I know a number of folks who are in the nursing profession, like uh, female ejaculation is not real. Uh, it doesn't make sense from what I learned. That's and what my body saying. doesn't right. do it. And, and I, whatever, I'm not even going to teach a female ejaculation workshop right now. What I will say is a lot of the people that I know that ejaculate that are vulva-owning humans Say it's real, it's fucking real to them. And, I'm ejaculated. And if, but the thing is, the brainwashing that can happen from being, and I also know doctors, by the way, who think that because their education is so pristine, prestigious, that we shouldn't question them because, you know, they're doctors. And I value y'all, you doctor humans. And I think that 
you don't know everything. No, I don't know everything. And I work in the field of sexuality and I have for years. So that's one interesting thing is you would think that she would be more open-minded. And actually, I'm not surprised. Well, also, we have more humans on the planet than ever before. So if you think about, so it's, yes, nature, nurture, anatomy, biology, all of these things. But more humans, more differentiation, more experiments, more research equals things will come to the surface. And there's going to be – things are going to change. People are going to find more – I think there is some sort of sexual revolution going on, not like the 60s, but like people are more curious about their bodies. And I think there's more money that will go into research. Like OMGS was one of the first people. They're killing it. They're yeah. so amazing. But And, and uh, enough about the research piece, but that's what we need. And when people actually talk about what they're physically experiencing – within in terms of their uh their their sexual experiences and also their their personal pleasure experiences i think that will also help open more doors and and humans love tiny boxes little houses yeah. little compartments all for it all let's label let's label Safety but it's true and comfort and I, this person also said that their partner one has sexual trauma that's a huge piece right there. So what I'm hearing is shame, sexual trauma, uh, upbringing that talking about sex was not safe or had traumatic and or had traumatic experiences that made it so talking about sex or feeling pleasure or, you know, all these different things. Like there, you saw your partner come like crazy from a starter dildo in her butt and it's uncomfortable for her to even admit that she enjoyed it. Says a lot. Um, and, I'm, and not in a judgmental way, by the way. I'm, I'm not judging her. She's not lesser than in any way. It shows me or it suggests that, wow, yeah, there's an opportunity for a lot of work here that even acknowledging pleasure is scary. Talking about pleasure is scary. Maybe even feeling pleasure is really challenging because she has trauma and her body is brilliant and it shuts off or turns down. Uh, it's, it's trying to cope with some really hard things. So what do you do? Sex therapy, therapists, sexological body workers, sex coaches, don't try to do this on your own. I know you want to figure out how to open her up more. Um, not really your job and probably going to be an uphill battle if you try to do it on your own. And you're starving sexually. That deserves to be honored. Not that she needs to necessarily, it's her job to feed that either, but for you to speak to her about how much you love her and want to support her and you see her and you see how hard this is and also your, what you need to use and not but and let's go seek some support i know it's hard i'm scared too but let's let's at least try this for us not just for me or you or, and please don't phrase it as she's the broken one this is for us to make us more connected i something and i think that is incredible advice always seeking professional help on whatever level if it's a coach or if it's a sexological body worker or a therapist, whatever is the comfort level in your ability to receive, that route's incredible. The normalization of conversations around sex are so important. We can't minimize that because I remember selling sex toys, pure pleasure shop, selling sex toys. Mm-hmm. Or when I was working uh, with Fun Factory and Hot Octopus and being in stores, and talking to the end consumer, as we call it in this world, and they, I, I had multiple, multiple people over the years be like, thank you for 
saying these things when they were talking about sexuality and yeah. their trauma or their triggers or them not being able to have orgasms. And they're like, you, you made me feel like it. I was shopping at yeah. Sephora. Like I was buying like a lip gloss. And, and I'm like, this is what sex and I don't say should often, but this is what sex looks like to me. And it'd be nice if it could be. I think yeah, that I agree. this is the thing though, when, when we're in the medical field or when we're in fields that are outside of sexuality, but I bring it back to my mom. Thanks, mom. She doesn't listen. But hey, mom. mom, if you're listening. But I have, she is so shy and so closed off when it comes to sex. And I have done my best to normalize conversations around sex because every time I bring up sex with my mom, she shuts down. And I'm like, this is important. And I'm not like the, ew, I don't want to know about my mom having sex person. I'm like, no, mom, I'm having sex. You're having sex. We're adults having pleasure, hopefully. And I think it's so important and I, I don't know how you're addressing this, James, with your partner. Uh, and if it is an uncomfortable conversation for her, I think the normalization and bringing it up, kind of like you're talking about passing the salt. Hey, pass the salt. So anyway, that's the last piece that I wanted to share. And I think that's super helpful. And I, and I love how you bring in the real world experience of that. And like, this shit isn't easy. And like you talk about your mom, she didn't choose that by the way. Your, your mom and, and you know, this person's partner wasn't like, yeah, I really want to be difficult about sex and shut down and not feel a lot of pleasure and not talk about it. Like, or maybe they say, no, I'm fine. I'm fine like this. But like deep down, I think most people know that they, experience their most aliveness when they are tapped into their sexual selves, even asexual folks, Mm -hmm. you know, having some sort of connection to their identity or their needs. So uh, I just wanted to say that too, and that, uh, normalize it like April said, and also offer, um, that this is how common this is and that this is not anyone's right. This has been passed I think I noted to you, uh, when we were prepping pre-recording about how this is something that a lot of folks are, uh, in, in, when they're in long-term relationships, they have this, this thing that comes up, which is I'm sexual. I'm not feeling this for my partner. What can I do to make them more sexual? And it's, it's not really the decision of the the person that isn't in that zone. It's the decision of both. And it's, it's helping them if they're not on the track to find the tools, it's helping them if you want to and supporting them in their journey to, uh, open up that their their sexual vortex, if you will, or yeah. their brain, the part of the brain that shuts down. With, and you can inspire it, but you can't make them, right? You no. can you can inspire it by, hey, I think that's why the we thing is wonderful because it doesn't, people get really defensive when it's like, you need to go do this. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I do. Hey, I get yeah. defensive when me someone too. says it. I'm like, don't tell me what I need. Or what I, like, hey, no, that's not working for me. I will listen to you if you're suggesting something. Don't tell me how I feel. No. Don't tell me how I think. Or don't, don't tell me how I am. Yeah, unless you're my therapist, then yeah. I'm paying you to do that. I still don't like it then. Okay, so. I have a you- side note, though, first. Oh, you're talking yes. about uh, your mom talking about sex. Uh, the other day, I was at my mom's house. My mom whipped out a double dildo and was like, hey, Amy, look at this new double dildo. It's called the Strap Me On Silicone <laughs> Bendable Dildo. I love you, Janice. And it's new And because she, she went to our distributor, and so uh, they showed her. We, we like to look at the new products we put on Pure Pleasure's website. 
And so I was holding it, and this is, you can see, have you seen this one? I'm, I'm showing April. Oh, yeah. It's got the internal piece and it oh, vibrates. Oh, that's nice. There's two different vibrators in it. Dildos so are being, there's like so. And it's bendable. Like they're totally next level with tech right now. It's badass. It's not just like a silicone, floppy, fleshy, veiny no. phallus anymore. They're like really nice. They're for the ergonomic, for the body. They've got all of these The technology is brilliant. So she's showing me. And I was like, this is amazing. She's like, yeah, but don't touch it too much because I'm going to use it later. <laughs> so, like, like, oh. so we have very different conversations with our mothers. <laughs> I think it would have been better if she would have been like, I just used that. So let me wash it before you touch it. like, mom, it. you're fucking badass. It's silicone though, so it would be fine. It's sanitizable. She has a dishwasher. Purepleasureshop.com though. Everyone, go to purepleasureshop.com. Use coupon code SHAMELESSX. You get 15% off. I was just talking about the strap-on-me vibrating bendable strapless strap-on. But there's also a non-vibrating version. Are you ready for Tammy Letherer bio? Yeah, yeah. All right. Tammy Letherer is an author, writing coach, and blogger. She holds a degree in journalism from Indiana University and has enjoyed a long and varied professional writing career. In addition to The Buddha at My Table, Letherer is also the author of the novel Hello, Loved Ones and the children's book My Health is in My Hands. Read her blogs on Huffington Post or learn more about her work at TammyLetherer.com. That's T-A-M-M-Y-L-E-T-H-E-R-E-R.com. But first... It's finally springtime, and since winter is over, it's time to talk about the birds and the bees and your balls. If winter hibernation has left your balls unattended to, it's time to get manscaped. But don't just stop at your balls because Manscaped is the best for all your grooming needs. Their weed whacker, nose, and ear hair trimmer is designed to prevent nicks, snags, and tugs on your delicate holes. That means no more nose hairs blowing in the spring wind. And Manscaped has some liquid formulations to keep you and your balls fresh like April showers or flowers. My partner swears by their anti-chafing ball deodorant, and I'm obsessed with how the testy toner keeps his balls smelling fresh all day, even after a hard workout. Speaking of smelling fresh, complete your grooming game with the new refined cologne. It will have you smelling so yummy and delicious, you'll feel like royalty. And trust me on this, because I'm very particular about scents, but... This one is so sexy yet subtle. You'll be the talk of the next quarantine hang. And bang! Get 20% off now, plus free shipping with code SHAMELESS at manscaped.com, y'all. Again, 20% off and free shipping with the code SHAMELESS at manscaped.com. It's spring cleaning, baby, and your balls will thank you. And now, it's interview time. All right, everyone, it is interview time, and we are here with Tammy Letherer, author of The Buddha at My Table, How I Found Peace in Betrayal and Divorce. Now, some of you are like, what? You find peace in betrayal and divorce? How is that even possible? Um, so, well, maybe you should listen. And yeah, I just showed it to you. And I think this would be helpful for anyone probably going through any sort of heartbreak, breakup, grieving. Uh, I've been through that and had a lot of anger, grief, resentment. I think I still have some from a past relationship. So I'm sure there's plenty of useful information, whether you are married or not, or getting divorced or uh, experiencing betrayal or not. Uh, so let's dive in. You've already heard a little bit about Tammy in the bio, but Tammy, can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you came to write this book, The Buddha at My Table, How I Found Peace in Betrayal and Divorce? Yeah. So I had been married, uh, almost 13 years. My husband and I had three children 
And we'd actually been together close to 20 years and very happily so, at least that was my understanding. And then one night, just right before Christmas, he called me to the table and asked me to sit down and had something to tell me. He said he had a piece of paper in front of him and he said he had three things to tell me. And the first was that he had been having affairs for a very long time, since actually before our kids were born, uh, shortly after our marriage. And the second was that he'd met someone in Las Vegas who had he'd known for 12 hours, but he wanted to be with her. So the third then was that he wanted a divorce and he wanted to wrap things up with me in about four weeks that that would suit his timeline. <laughs> so um, just deliver these things very matter of factly. Like, like I said, he was reading off a piece of paper and I literally slid to the floor. It just really knocked me over. So that was, that was the beginning of it all, you know, and I, I, you know, so I, I begin my book with that story. And for me, what right, really, really early on, right from the start was important to think about, or at least felt meaningful to me was how you get off the floor, you know, when you're in one of those moments. And I just started to get kind of curious about that. Like, what is it that, that gets you up in those moments? You know, when life comes and knocks you down, there is a point where, of course, you can't stay lying on the floor when you have kids to take care of and you have a life to live. But what is it that makes you get up and keep going? And, you know, of course, I'd always been a writer and I just grabbed my journals and I started journaling everything that happened. And, you know, I put every little thing in there, every conversation, every thought and every feeling. And I just I knew quite early, I think, that it would be a book because, of course, as a writer, you look at everything as a possible book topic or at least something to write about. And the thought that I kept having early on was you know, this can't be happening. This absolutely can't be happening. But because it was happening, it felt like, okay, what do I do with it? You know, how do I make sense of this? So I began taking notes and, and journaling um, right away and just had a sense, I think, right from the beginning that someday it would become a book. Wow. That is, it's a, an incredible story. And I had two things that I wanted to ask you. The first of which, were there any indicators at all prior to the, the three piece sit down of the things he wanted to share uh, before he had um, exposed all of this information to you? That's the first piece. And um, the second piece is more uh, about kind of turning this information which is a huge betrayal and a shock into the ultimate blessing. But really, I, I, I was just curious if, if you had any, any uh, flags that went up. You know, I didn't think at the time that there were, of course. But then very quickly, of course, you start to do a little bit of, you know, hindsight. And the thing that came to mind was earlier that same year, we had taken a trip to Paris. Actually, we'd gone to Australia and Paris because he was working for a, a worldwide company and he was being sent there for business. And so he invited me along. I just felt like such an opportunity. You know, this is wonderful. And we get to go to Paris together and it's going to be so romantic. And, and we hadn't traveled in a while. You know, we had three kids, three young kids. And so it had been a while since we traveled together, although it's something we had done in the past and we'd always done it, you know, and very, um, compatibly. But when we were in Paris, I remember feeling super frustrated because we wanted to do very different things. 
you know, he had his checklist of all the um, tourist attractions that he wanted to see. And he just really wanted to, you know, walk, walk, walk all over the city and see this and see that and see, see everything. And I really wanted to sit in a cafe and just read a book and have a cup of coffee and watch the world go by. And so it was one of the first times that I thought, wow, we're, we're at odds here. And not only were we at odds, but I didn't feel like he had a sense of really what I wanted to do or even cared. And I felt like he was sort of pulling me along behind him. And I was willingly, or maybe not so willingly, but I was at least, I was following. And then I was feeling resentful. And, you know, on top of that, to compound it all is this idea that, wow, we're in Paris, you know, we're supposed to be you're supposed to be right. You know, we're supposed to be having the time of our lives and in the city of lights and feeling so in love. And, and none of that felt like my experience. And so I came back from that trip feeling very uneasy, but I didn't know why. And I thought it was just that, you know, well, we're at the stage in our marriage, you know, we've got kids, we haven't really put enough time into each other. And I did think to myself, you know, I need to, I need to think of a way to you know, for us to be put first, to make us a priority. But I certainly had no idea that other things had been going on for so long. And was that, was that, uh, very close to the time he, uh, had, uh, shared all of the, the things with you? I don't know what that was in, it was, yeah, it was in the spring. And so by Christmas of that year, it was, so it was just a, you know, several months later that he sat me down and, and told me what had been going on. So, yeah, we were we were so far apart even when we were traveling together, right? I mean, and I think looking back, wow, I I instinctively knew that. I knew there wasn't a connection there. But of course, I didn't consciously know it, but I certainly felt it. So that was that was tough. So how did you deal with this? Like the ultimate betrayal, all of this information, and how did you turn this into uh the ultimate blessing? Uh moment by moment. <laughs> it was it was you know, putting one foot blindly in front of the other, honestly, I, one of, one of the things that I um, write about in the book is that there is something about a tragedy or a moment that knocks the floor out from under you in that you can't, you can't really think ahead. You know, you can't really look forward. You can't really look back. You just, you're unable to, in that moment, you just have to be where you are. And it's really scary um, at least it was for me, but it also sort of slowed things down and it made life in a way simpler in that I couldn't deal with much. I could only deal with what was right in front of me. So that became my focus is what, what do I, what do I do right now today? Like I said, you know, with that moment of how do I get off the floor? That's the first step. How do I get up? Then it's, well, who do I call? Who do I turn to? You know, and I called uh, several people, my brother, my mother, my college friend, none of them answered. <laughs> so, and this was uh, probably about nine o'clock at night and I was pretty panicky and I ended up um, just, you know, going to bed, getting ready for bed and going to bed the way I always would, because I was sort of in shock. And when he came back home, because he had left after he gave me this news, he left to go call this woman that he had met. And when he came back, it was the most surreal thing. We just continued our routine. You know, like I said, I washed my face and we both got into bed and I just, you know, I thought, what, what do I do now? And it's like, here's this person that you're used to having the same relationship with and yet everything's different. So there was that odd meeting 
you know, we carry on like we always have, and yet you're a stranger to me. Um, but the next morning I did, I get, I got up and went to my friend and neighbor's house very early in the morning. And it became these little things that got me from one moment to the next. It was, you know, she sat me down on the couch and put a blanket around my shoulders and she brought me a cup of tea and made me eat a piece of toast and asked me if I had called my therapist and she dialed this number for me and, you know, said, do you want to talk to your doctor about sleeping pills? And just, you know, little things that were practical that helped me. And, you know, later came over to my house and put a, a vase of flowers next to my bed with a picture of my kids mm. and helped me move his stuff out, out of the closet, you know? So I couldn't have said at the time how I would get through it because I had no roadmap for this or, you know, no template or anything. And um, I think you just, you just do what you have to do next and, you know, what, what makes sense to do next. And that's all you can do. That's that. So my guess is from what you're talking about, what you're describing is you said pre, it's presence, right? It's, it's, you know, what's available right now in this moment and this moment and this moment, uh, and which is hard to do when this moment is scary, right? If this moment feels like hell and right. you know, my whole world has fallen apart, who am I, what's going on? And I think what happens for a lot of folks is they go into future stuff, anxiety, what ifs, what ifs, you know, and well, you know, all that stuff. And, and, um, and it's so easier said than done to choose presence. But I guess so this is kind of a two-part question. My guess is the title, The Buddha at My Table, um, is because in, you know, in Buddhism, we know that presence is a huge part of that practice, if not like the core piece of it. Um, and so mindfulness. So I guess two-part question is, is that the part of the part of the, your practice there and the, the title of the Buddha at my table, is it, did you find that just presence and by be living moment to moment, even if that moment was grief and hard and challenging when your life fell apart, um, was that one of your greatest tools? And then anything that you can say about when people are just on a pile on the ground and their world, whole world has fallen apart, like how do they pick themselves up? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And the, the title actually comes from an interesting moment. Um, early on, it, it, it doesn't necessarily refer to Buddhism as a whole. I'm not, I, I'm not a practicing Buddhist, but I do uh, appreciate a lot of those philosophies of being present and be, trying to be very Zen. But the title actually comes from uh, a night when my husband and I were scheduled to go see a therapist. We were going to see together as a couple right away. You know, I said, let's go see somebody so we can kind of navigate this. And our babysitter was a Thai woman and she was scheduled to come over and watch my kids. And I was getting dressed in the bedroom, um, preparing for this, this, uh, therapy session. And my oldest son, who was about seven at the time came running into the bedroom and he said, mom, mom, there's a man in an orange Cape sitting at the table. And I sort of laughed. I thought, what's he talking about? <laughs> and he was obsessed with superheroes. So I thought he was mistaken, but I walked out to the dining room and sure enough, there was a man wrapped in orange robes. He was, you know, full-fledged Buddhist monk uh, in, you know, complete orange garb sitting there at my dining room table. And it was just the most bizarre thing. And he was a friend of our babysitters. So she had brought him, he was visiting from Thailand. She had brought him to, you know, along with her. And he sat at the table, he didn't speak English. And he just um, accepted a cup of tea and, and bowed and smiled and was just this presence of peacefulness. And I, 
I marveled at that, you know, as I was driving to the therapy session, I thought, wow, that is, that's really interesting to walk out of my kitchen into the dining room and see this man sitting there. And then I step into the therapy session where my husband says so many hurtful, surprising things, you know, I never loved you or, Mm. um, you know, I never believed in monogamy and just sort of rewriting our history right in front of me. And I felt such just rage. I was shaky and I, I left that therapy session and went back to my car and my hands were shaking so hard. I couldn't get my key in the lock. And I finally got in the car and sat there just filled with this fury that I had never felt. And it was very scary. I mean, I don't, I don't do anger well. (laughs) So it, it felt um, really earth shattering. And I just remembered that monk sitting at my table. And I thought, wow, is that sort of a lightning bolt moment or what? I mean, how often does that happen? And so it, it really, um, it, it was something that guided me throughout the process, because I thought if, you know, if that, if sort of this personification of peace literally comes into my house and sits down at my table, you know, what can I take from that? And what can that mean to me? And so, yeah, it really, it really did become sort of a overarching lesson that I started to look for. And so, you know, I, I would say, you know, when just my experience, when you're in that moment, um, and, you know, and then, and just like you asked, what, what do you do to, to get up and, and get going and, and keep moving? And honestly, I think you can't say until you're in it, because I, I would never have been able to predict what I would feel or what I would think in that moment. But there was like a certain grace in that moment. You know, there was a knowingness that did settle over me. Um, like I said, it was this sense of this can't be happening, but because it is something else is going on here. There's something bigger going on. And that really felt true to me. So, so I would say, you know, you, you, necessarily, you can't necessarily plan ahead for moments like that, but just having the faith that when those things happen, you will know what to do. I think that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I uh, relate to this, uh, this episode and to your experience on the, the flip side, because I was, I was married and I was the one doing the uh, affair piece, right? I was um, having an affair and I decided to come clean as well about it. It, You know, it was only for about five months, the affair that took place. And uh, I wasn't sure that I wanted to leave the relationship. That wasn't the piece that I was secure with, but I knew my world was falling apart because everything I had built uh, was going to be different after that that like part and after the release of the information and whenever I think back to that because I was also in a state of trauma from from my world falling apart this rock this person that I had betrayed so deeply to his core was uh so angry and sad that I didn't know what to do with that and I wanted to caretake him but I had to caretake for myself so uh it's true when you're in that situation you realize what you're going to do and on both sides, whether you're the betrayer or the betrayee, right? You're going to uh, go into your survival mode in a sense. So, uh, and I appreciate your story. I think when it comes, so, so 
when it comes to tips and tools, uh, you touched on a little bit of, obviously there's some reliance on the people that you love, uh, mm-hmm. in your life for sure that you want to call on. There's obviously, I know you mentioned therapy. Uh, is there anything else that you would recommend from your expertise, uh, that folks can do, uh, whether it's book reading or, uh, journaling or anything to deal if they have been betrayed by someone that they've been in partnership with, um, to help them move through that? Yeah, I, I would say a couple of things. I, I think, uh, self-care is so important, you know, finding what works for you. For me, I was getting energy treatments. Um, there was something I had been turned on to from my doctor a little bit before this happened. And I started really appreciating that and just how it made me feel reset every week. Um, Eventually, I started getting acupuncture. I mean, I did yoga. Very early on in the first few days, my friend dragged me to a yoga class. And um, I remember sitting in the class with the, the teacher was someone we called the yoga goddess because she just was gorgeous and looked looked the part so perfectly. And she was sweet and loving and just all of the things, you know, everybody would want to be. And I remember looking at her while I sat on my mat and just thinking, I want to die. I mean, I, 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 why am I here? My life is falling apart and I just want to cry and fall apart. And here I am in this yoga class and, you know, it made no sense, but, but the point is, you know, just to get out and do that and just to make myself keep going and to um, think about what, what was it, what, what were some of the things that I enjoyed that I maybe had put aside? And, you know, when you were telling your story, I, the thing that came to my mind was something I hadn't heard one time, which was, uh, you can't be betrayed unless you first betray yourself. And I thought, oh my gosh, that, you know, that's heavy. I, I don't know if I like that idea. And, and I, I had to sort of think about that, you know, this idea that how how did I betray myself? And, you know, as a writer, I had spent many, many years prior to this working on my first novel and I had put my writing aside. And when this happened, it felt like I said, you know, like I was being handed this new story and um, it made me think about how I had betrayed that part of myself that I considered to be really my essence. So I think an opportunity in this is to, 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 you know, to think what, what have you let go of, of the real you, you know, what is it that you enjoy that maybe you weren't doing, I would say, do those things, you know, and if I know it doesn't feel good necessarily in the moment when you're in a divorce and you think, well, all I want to do is lay in bed and cry. But, you know, I started to make myself go out to dance lessons. And like I said, the self-care was really important. Um, And another tip that I really recommend looking back is to sort of guard your energy, you know, and there's so many people who want to be there for you supposedly, but really they want the drama and they want to give you advice or they sort of feed off it. Um, And I would, I, I, I was happy to identify that very early on and to know that, you know, there's this small circle of people that I can rely on and I can share my story with, and I can tell them honestly how I'm feeling and they will give me reality checks or they'll help me to respond rather than react. You know, they'll be level-headed. And then there was another sort of, you know, circle of people who I felt were, like I said, just wanting the gossip, you know, would want to hear how, how are you? And then when I would pour my heart out, they, 
they wouldn't really offer me anything or they just seemed to kind of go away and spread it about and it, it didn't feel good to me. So I think, you know, to decide early on who deserves your story because you only have so much energy and you really have to harness that energy for yourself, take care of yourself and think about where you're sort of leaking out to people who aren't giving back to you. I think that's important. Okay, time for a quick break. This podcast was made possible by Uberloop. It's a luxurious silicone lubricant that enhances sex and intimacy. We receive emails from listeners who have tried Uberloop and the feedback is unanimous. We never knew lube could be this good. It's also less likely to throw off the pH than most other lubes, and there are thousands of doctors recommending Uberlube to their patients, whether they want to make their hot sex even hotter or for folks experiencing dryness. Uberlube is without a doubt my favorite lube. It has no flavor, no scent, and feels absolutely amazing on my body. And it isn't just for sex. I use it to tame my hair frizzies, to prevent chafing, and I even put some in my mouth before an oral sex session. Totally ups my blowjob game. Oh, and the bottle, it's beautiful. It looks like a cosmetic product. So I just leave it out on my nightstand totally shamelessly. To learn why we think it's the best lube on the planet, check out uberlube.com and use code SHAMELESSSEX for 10% off plus free shipping. Again, that's uberlube.com and use code SHAMELESSSEX for 10% off and free shipping. This podcast was also made possible by Helix Sleep. When it comes to the bedroom, I'm super particular about what happens in my bed. Not only am I a self-proclaimed high-maintenance sleeper, but I also want my bed to enhance my sexy time. Enter my new Helix mattress, a total game-changer in the bedroom. Not only has my sleep improved, but my new Helix mattress also has the perfect amount of firm meets comfort. And let me tell you, from delay to hitting the hay, I'm one happy girl. Helix has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. With Helix, you're getting a mattress you know will be just right for the way you sleep. So if you're looking for the best mattress, just go to helixsleep.com shameless, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that just might give you the best sleep of your life. And it's shipped right to your door for free. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows because you're our listeners at helixsleep.com slash shameless. That's helixsleep.com slash shameless for up to $200 off and two free pillows. All right, back to the interview. Yeah, I, I love all that advice. I think that's really, really helpful. Uh, and I love the piece, especially about... I, when, when terrible stuff happens often it's, oh it's terrible I hate this thing instead of like okay but there might be an opportunity here and what you're saying is there's an opportunity here to rediscover who am I how have I given my up, up on myself or given up aspects of myself I'm guessing that's part of the blessing that you're speaking about is this rediscovery of of you and um, there's something that I was reading I don't know if it's actually in your book or something that was sent to us but you, I think that you say that it's easy to live in blame and become bitter when something terrible happens but then it's crucial to pick yourself up and take a step forward um, and I'm just curious if you want to elaborate a little more on this that you know people get stuck in that anger and that resentment and that bitter uh, and and as someone who's who works in the therapeutic realm um 
I think what you're speaking to also is presence moment to moment. And then all those things you talked about too, by the way, yoga and energy work, they're all embodied things you're speaking to, you know, to feeling your feelings and doing embody, having embodied experiences, healing experiences. Um, and so I just, I, you know, I believe that really moving through these things is feeling your feelings, not running away from them, not numbing them out. Sure. Sometimes we're going to like, fuck it. I'm just going to drink some wine. I don't even feel like dealing with this today, <laughs> but that not being all the time, but what, what do I guess if you want to elaborate a little more on that, on, on how people can move out of that blame and bitter and move, move forward. Yeah, I, I came from a, from a home of divorce, you know, my parents divorced when I was 16. And uh, my mother, you know, 30, 40 years later, could never say a kind word about my dad. And so having that experience myself and seeing and feeling so, so such frustration over that, like, get over it already. Come on, lady. You know, it just, I didn't want that. I didn't want to repeat that situation. But how do you just make those feelings go away? You know, if you feel angry, you feel angry, you know? And so that was a real balancing act, I think, to, to, like you said, feel my feelings and to know that it was okay and to sometimes wallow in them, you know, if I needed to until they were ready to pass. But then knowing that I could let go of them and, uh, you know, that it wasn't going to do me any good to, to hold on to this bitterness. And so... I think, you know, part of my process or my awareness, I guess, was making this shift, you know, it sort of goes hand in hand with that idea of the energy and where, where I decided to put it and was it going to, you know, sort of add to my, to my strength or was it going to take away from it that along the same lines was this question of, you know, um, is this happening to me? And if it is happening to me and I feel like a victim and I feel like my world is ending and this is so unfair, you know, how do I act? How do I feel when I feel like that? You know, and could I possibly for just a minute consider that maybe this is happening for me and this is actually good for me and that there will be something on the other side of it. And as hard as it felt at first to feel that or to believe it, just considering it for a second seems to open a little bit of space. And then it becomes, like I said, sort of a curiosity, like, well, what if that's true? You know, how would I act differently? How would I feel differently? And what if I just decide to believe that, you know, isn't that going to be better for me and and just move forward from there? So, you know, in some ways it's a choice, but like I said, it's not, not a choice in that you're ignoring your feelings and just, you know, trying to make them go away, but it's that balancing act of, yes, I have these feelings. I can feel them, but I can also then you know, at some point, choose to reframe it in a way that's going to get me out of this sooner so that I'm not, you know, like my mother in my 50s, bitching about my dad, who she hasn't spoken to in 30 years, you know. So that was my goal, at least. This topic, I think we've, we've narrowed it in because of your experience in your book about folks that are going through betrayal that are married and partnered. And this really, I think, overlaps to breakups, to a lot of different things. You can be betrayed in any sort of such in friendship, right? There's so many different things uh, that, that this relates to and, and this information and what you can do when you feel you are betrayed by someone, even if it isn't your partner, that's what's coming up for me because, uh, that has, it's, it's a heavy thing to, to go through it. It feels, 
like something's been taken from you, someone's stolen something from you. And then do you want to move forward? And can I ever trust again? Can I, right? You go through these, these, whatever uh, armor that you're going to put up to protect yourself. And, and I think that you've said some really beautiful things about when terrible things happen and you have all this grief and there's loss that it's, uh, it, there are things that you can do to, to help yourself through these things. And, to find your light again. And, and I just wanted to share that because it keeps coming up because, uh, I think like breakups are on the rise. There's, and we'll get into that more, whether it's divorce and breakups, uh, COVID has put a, a real wrench into folks and their relationships these days. Uh, I first wanted though, to touch on children in, in, in the scope of divorce, I'm a product of divorce. Uh, Amy is too. And a nasty divorce, like you said, my mom hasn't spoken to my father since I was, I believe, seven years old. I'm 38. And wow. so, and it, there was a lot of hate and shade throwing. And uh, I understand that being the product of that, it sounds like you have a healthier, uh, thank God, a healthier, thank the goddesses, whoever mm-hmm. you believe in, the healthier approach. And I would love to, uh, for you to speak on that. So if you have children, do you have advice for these newly single parents and how to navigate this? Uh, boy, that's, that's a tough one, right? Because we feel such guilt and pressure around our kids and that right away that feeling of, um, oh my gosh, I'm putting them through the same thing I went through. And that was the last thing I ever wanted. You know, I had sort of vowed, I will never repeat that. And then to not have control over that, you know, I mean, I guess on some level you could say that I I played a part and I do believe in some ways I did, even if it was unknowingly, but certainly to have that presented to me is now my kids are going to be products of divorce. It was devastating, you know, and worried about where, you know, worrying about how much do I tell them? And, and I'm someone who really believes in, in not faking it and not hiding things from the kids. I mean, I think that kids will always come up with their own scenarios that are usually worse than what is really happening. And so the advice that I got from my therapist early on that I thought was really lovely was to tell the, you know, if the kids have questions, answer them honestly, and to tell them very simply what's happening without elaborating, because usually the simplest answer will satisfy them. And I found that to be the case. And so when I, you know, we did tell the kids and, um, you know, there was some tears from my oldest, but they dried up very quickly. As soon as, you know, I explained like, listen, this is, this is um, something that's happened between dad and I, you know, our relationship has broken because there's some pieces that are necessary for a relationship, for a marriage. And some of those pieces are missing now. So our relationship has broken, but the, the, the difference is that your relationship with your dad can never be broken. It's a different type of relationship and it, nothing that happens between dad and I will ever affect the relationship that you have, you know, with us as parents. And I just try to keep it very simple. And that seemed to satisfy them quite, quite quickly. And then I remember the next morning, my oldest came in for breakfast and uh, was making his breakfast. And he says, Mom, I know why you guys are divorcing. And I, you know, I thought, oh, I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> and I said, why is that? And he said, because of the economy. <laughs> he was seven years old. Yeah. So I don't know where he got that information, but I just had to laugh. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, even things like when, 
Now, now my husband would not leave the house for quite a while. It actually took eight months for him to move out because he was um, being advised somehow, I guess, that if he left, he wouldn't get visitation or there was a lot of kind of, you know, stalemate around that, that subject. And so he, he sort of moved himself into the basement. And so of course the kids wondered, you know, why is dad sleeping in the basement? And so, you know, I just answered that again, trying, trying to be as simple and as direct and honest as possible. I just said, you know, mom and dad aren't staying in the same room anymore because we're not getting along right now. And we find it easier to, to sleep separately, but we are talking about it and we are, you know, um, coming up with some solutions and it's nothing that you need to worry about right now because we're, you know, we're sort of dealing with it. And that satisfied the kids, you know, again, just to know something, but I think you have to address these things, right? Because to, to try to pretend it's not happening or to say what's obviously a lie, I, I really think kids deserve more respect than that. I think they're very smart. Mm. So um, that, that was at least how I approached it. Yeah, I think that's also I took really my helpful. parents' divorce on on myself. I was seven, and I was like, this is my fault. Please, what did mm. I do wrong? And I think a lot of children, depending on their mental capacity, and you were older, Amy. You were a teenager, right, by the time yeah. that your parents chose to divorce. Well, they went to separate bedrooms when I was 14, and but my mom didn't actually move out until I was 17. So there was a number of years where they were in separate rooms, but they had a one. They I never saw um, any arguing or any sort of turmoil between them except for one emotional thing, but I, I, anyways, I but I never saw a lot of love either. There was not a lot of affection, a lot of closeness. Um, it was kind of like my dad was kind of living his, his life, doing his thing. And my mom was keeping the family together and we still had family dinners and all that stuff. But, um, what, what happened was there was a holiday where my mom just lost it and she was just like, I can't do this anymore. And I, so when I first saw that, I was like, Oh, I, I always knew that there was something up, but now is finally happening. And she's, I can't do this anymore, but she, she didn't move out. She moved in a separate room mm. for a number uh. of years and they, but they, they clued me in on it. I wasn't like you're saying, I didn't leave me in the dark. I was for I se- had, a seven years. I, I had no, I, yeah. but I had no, no answers. Yeah. It was just like mom and dad, my mom picked up everything in the morning and left while my dad was at work and we had no information. Yeah. She was just like, we're moving into a new house. And then it was, there was no You're information. Like, she just said, we're getting a divorce. And I didn't even know what that meant. And I remember giving wow. an announcement to my class and like the teacher was like, April has an announcement. And so I was like, okay, ha, my parents are getting a divorce. And they were all like, Okay. Wow. When you were and seven? I was actually six. And oh, wow. Yeah, I was. And, and the, I don't know why the teacher allowed me to do that. I had no information though. I was not uh, a, a six-year-old therapist for anyone. I was like, if anyone else's parents are getting divorced, don't ask me questions. Cause I'm totally not able to deal with this. But the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I feel like you're right with, if, if they would have given me information or, uh, they were in, did a healthier way of breaking up with each other, I would probably be a little bit more uh, secure in a lot of my relationships. And I'm not blaming my parents because I am my own human. However, if anyone out there is listening, uh, for being the byproduct of, of something like that. And, uh, I, I, yeah, it took me a long time and a lot of therapy to get through that. So 
Love you, mom and dad, so much. Thanks. Well, you know, I think where you grew up was a little bit more of the, I mean, my household is a little more progressive, right? Like, you know, they're children. So, like, they're going to be, they're going to be fine. And, you know, that, like, you know, because I said so when a kid's like, why this? Because I said so. My parents never did that. At least my mom didn't. She's like, that's not going to work. You're like, if, you know, you're, you're a human too. You deserve to be. And it doesn't mean that you explain in adult language to a six or seven year old what's going on because, yes, they might not have the capacity to understand. But, like you said, Tammy, they're smart. They know what they know. There's something, even if you don't speak to it. I mean, I knew at you know five, six, seven. I didn't, even, I didn't see a whole bunch of argument. I knew something was up, though. I knew that yeah. my mom loved and cared about me a lot more than my, than my dad. But that wasn't the case for some other families. Um, and it, but and that didn't affect me. And when they got actually did the the separation, but living in the same house. Um, it actually was fine. At first I freaked out because I was like, what, what, what? And for some reason I thought they'd kill themselves. I had this idea that divorce meant that they'd be alone and suicidal, but they quickly, my mom quickly talked me off the ledge with that one. She's like, no, we're going to be fine. And we have support. And, um, and it ended up working out. I have friends that come over and like, why are your parents in separate rooms? It's like, they don't love each other anymore. And they're like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. I'm like, yeah. So anyways, you want to go get a cookies? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that's, that's, that's helpful for people. And I know a lot of people choose to stay in very unhappy situations for the children. Especially this time uh, that we're facing 2020 just passed us. 2021 is, is uh, live and in effect while we're recording this and pandemic vibes are real. People can't leave their house. They can't move out. They are not capable or financially capable, or there's not homes available, which right. That's like, you're stuck sometimes. But with that, we heard that divorce is on the rise during the pandemic. Do you, so I'm curious if you've heard that as well. Do you, I mean, obviously we're going to ask you like what your theory is and why this might be happening, but like, (laughs) what do you, what do you think about that one? I'm not surprised because, you know, isn't, isn't the pandemic sort of good for acting as a, a bit of a magnifying glass, you know? Yeah. I mean, really, we're stripped down. You know, there's only so much we can do. A lot of distractions are taken away. We're we're forced to sit with ourselves. I mean, I think this is the natural time for things that maybe have been swept under the rug to, to come out and you know, we're putting these pressure cookers. So in that sense, I think, you know, maybe there's a, a silver lining there that things that people may have been ignoring or pushing aside or thinking I'll deal with later. That, that now is the time to deal with them, um, you know, why not? And then move on to your next fabulous stage of life, you know? So I, I think that part of it's good. Uh, I think it's probably difficult in some ways too, though, because, you know, just practically speaking, the courts were, for example, closed for so long. You know, you couldn't get a court date. Um, you know, th- those kind of things slow things down. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a mixed bag, but but ultimately anything that I think that causes you to see things for the way they are and to really reevaluate and say, this is not the life I want. And I think the pandemic, because we were all afraid for our lives, right? I think it, it reduced things to their, their essence in a way, like, you know, what do I want for my life? And if that's, you know, if that means moving on without your partner, then, you know, I I guess take that information and, and go with it. I'm so curious what's going to happen 
I don't even know how to say when the pandemic ends because I don't I don't even know is that is that even a thing. Uh, but the divorce rates because if I have a feeling what's going to happen is a lot of folks once there is more freedom to. Um, maybe meet potential partners. It's not that people aren't doing it now. I think we're going to see a lot of single folks. We're going to see a lot more. Anyone who's single right now, like there's no one on I the market. They're wonder, coming. <laughs> I think there's a direct correlation between the rise of alcohol sales and the rise of divorce. Let's face it. <laughs> You're like, I have liquid courage right now. I'm going to lay this out for you. Yeah. Uh, and also the homeschooling meets uh, par- parent parenting all the time at home, right? Yeah. Because oh, we have yeah. to take that on as, as parents, which I think there there's a, the perfect storm for uh, the pandemic yeah. creating, creating divorces. And I think you're right, Amy, and maybe Tammy agrees that we may see a rise in, in singledom. So yeah. if you are single out there, just, just wait, wait, just wait. <laughs> Things are going to get great. So, uh, <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about your book. What can people expect from your book? And uh, also where can they find your book and you? <laughs> what's your address sure. what's your address yeah. where can we find you can you send us a location over. <laughs> boy i haven't had visitors for a year in my house <laughs> we moved to a new apartment and nobody's been to visit it yet so Surprise, the idea of having people come over actually sounds kind of nice um yeah so so the book is uh it's a memoir and um you know i i've had people tell me that it's a page turner and that's probably the best compliment I can get because I, I studied for many years in uh, the writer's loft in Chicago and uh, the founder of the writer's loft has written a book called immediate fiction. And that was, that was the sense I wanted to bring to this memoir is that you're, you're right there with me. You know, I wanted to make it as immediate as possible and just write it um, moment, again, moment by moment, the way it was unfolding. And, and so um yeah, you're with me on the ride, you know, strap your seatbelt in. Here we go. <laughs> I, I remember one time when a, a reader said um, that it was, this was not, not a compliment necessarily said that it felt like I was really in my pain, you know, for a while before things started to turn around. And I thought, well, yeah, I was, you know, I'd been with this person for 20 years. I'm not going to, I can't rush through that. I'm trying to show my process honestly how it was for me and how long it took. And, you know, it wasn't the type of thing where I could the next day throw all of his stuff out on the lawn and change the locks and just be screw him, you know, (laughs) it didn't work that way for me. So I think readers could expect a very realistic, just sort of raw journey. Um, You know, I, I, I examine everything, including myself. And, and I think that I do come to a place, like I said, where it's like, wow, this, this actually happened for me. And it's, really nice to be on the other side of that and be able to see that. And so I, I, I like when people can take away this message from it that, you know, um, they really can interpret everything in their favor, you know, even if it doesn't feel that way at first, that, that that's really the takeaway that I, that I like, but it's available on Amazon. It's in, uh, you can get it at your local bookstore. You, they may have to order it. Uh, it's on audible now uh, available as audiobook and other audiobook outlets as well. And um, I'd love to have people come visit me at my website, which is uh, TammyLetherer.com. And the book is The Buddha at My Table, right? That's the title. Yep. How, I, yep. how I Found Peace how of I Betrayal found, and Divorce. Exactly. So The Buddha at My Table. And uh, you can check that out. Uh, and Tammy, this is really a phenomenal 
information, a phenomenal episode. And thank you for sharing your story with us and your tips. All, all of the, the things that you shared were really special. And uh, hopefully anyone out there looking for a little bit of peace when this episode title came up can find that uh, in, in the words of someone that experienced that. So thank you. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pleasure. Uh, and for any of those looking for some, uh, distractions, peace, (laughs) peace through wine, you know, I've done that guilty as charged and, uh, our favorite is margins wine. Just go to marginswine.com boutique, beautifully made wine and boutique, meaning it's small batch y'all. So you're not getting some mass produced, uh, not thoughtfully made wine. So each bottle is unique and beautiful. Amy loves the San Giovanni. Le Muscat Blanc the and Muscat the Blanc. Blanc on a warm day. It's always oh, warm days different. Are up. You don't ever know typically what you're going to get. And if you go now uh, and sign up, you can also save money if you want to buy some wine because delivery is key these days. Getting mm. things delivered. I like getting things delivered. So go and uh, <laughs> and you can buy three bottles and save about 10% by using code SHAMELESSSEX10. And if you buy six or more bottles, you can save 15%. Just use SHAMELESSSEX15, y'all. We love you, each and every one of you listening right now. I'm giving you an air hug through the waves of the audio. So uh, if you love us that much, or you just want to say, hey, I love you, you're awesome, uh, go to iTunes, give us five stars. We read every single review, and it helps more people find folks like Tammy and, and folks like Amy and <laughs> folks like me sometimes. So we'll see you next Tuesday, y'all. Ciao for now. Want to learn more? Go to shamelesssex.com. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use code shamelesssex at purepleasureshop.com.